welcome, Cheney. Oh, yeah. New Year. New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, we fucking, we survived, buddy. Yeah, well, for how much longer? Fucking yeah. talks of uh, 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 Canadian police state issuing curfews should, yeah. be, uh, should be wonderful. We're, we're, we're going to hear about that tomorrow, I'm guessing, of what our, our current predicament is going to be like in Ontario. But uh, we've already heard like Quebec is in a pretty much martial law kind of a situation right now. Um, $6,000 fines getting fucking tossed out fuck. like nobody's yeah. business. It's... And I was watching videos like on Twitter of what that first night was. And they had like police patrolling the streets, full sirens blazing, uh, like you said, handing out fines to whoever they saw. And I'm like, how is anybody going to sleep like that? You know, like what's what is their thinking behind that? Like just putting people in a in a mode of fear, like ongoing fear for the foreseeable future, you know? So I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, no, not at all. It's not like I go out past 8 p.m. anyways, but like... Yeah, I mean, knows? where are people going? Night, Like, bars are all closed, clubs are closed, restaurants you can't eat inside. Uh, like, what, you know? what? I don't know what that's going to do, but yeah. My, my opinion on it is, like, our government doesn't have this shit figured out. Like, most governments, I guess. Correct. And um, I don't think... I don't know. I, I'll wait. There's actually a calculator online that calculates, like, when the nearest time... Um, based off of your like your age, what your occupation is, and um, certain other factors um, mm-hmm. for like getting your Canadian vaccine, mm-hmm. I haven't seen an equivalent on other webs on, on other places, but there's one for Canada. So yeah, so like uh, July. Our 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 healthcare plan seems to be you know coming in good for that. Like our our not healthcare plan, I guess our the people behind the healthcare they seem to care about us. So yes. yeah, that's good news. Uh, anyways, before we get to the movie that we decided on, that being the Prestige, Christopher yeah. Nolan, as we sort of, I think I had, or we, we both had the idea of like diving into more Chris Nolan films just to get a good sense of his filming style overall. Yeah. Um, definitely like the Prestige, what we watched was super Christopher Nolan-y. Like, yeah. It, it's One amazing. of his earlier films, like I, this movie came out around the time of the first Batman Batman Begins that he did. So kind of before he hit the mainstream blockbuster, you know, like uh, just before he was, I guess, recognized as one of the, like, the greatest filmmakers in Hollywood working today. Uh, this is an earlier phase of his uh, filmography. So, and it was your first time viewing the movie, right? It was. But before we get to that, I heard you watched another movie. I did. You didn't I, quite like. Well, I'm, I was happy enough to, I guess have the experience to watch a new movie in itself like um, um, like just you know the only movie i saw in theaters last year was tenet and since from that point to i guess the new year i hadn't seen anything new um which is it feels so weird not to like go to a theater and just talk about pop culture and like what kind of new movies are out there and stuff so i heard wonder woman came out on uh christmas day on pretty much you know the the streaming platforms and stuff like that or on you had to buy it at home and i i was already going into thinking this is a movie i'm not going to buy but i was so low and so depressed that i just wanted to watch a new movie and have a popcorn kind of a night you know so family put it on had a couple cineplex points stocked up so luckily you know like didn't spend any any actual money on it just cashed in those points and uh yeah watched wonder woman 1984 um on new year's day uh, at home which is uh, let me just speak on that real quick the whole the new, um, I guess, the new theater experience, we'll call it, of just watching movies at home. Um, yeah, 
Wonder Woman. I'm glad, I guess, I didn't go to a theater to watch this one and that I just watched it from home because it meant that I could walk out at any, any time without looking disrespectful. Um, yeah, it wasn't a good movie, man. It was not a good movie. I heard the same thing from... I didn't watch it myself because, you know, I'm not really that invested with whatever DC's doing other than the, the Snyder cut at this point. Um, yeah. But I watched Red Letter Media talk about it and um, it's funny, like, they had the same thing, like, yeah, we're just sitting at home watching it, and like, we just walked out a couple of times because we were yeah. not entertained. And well, it's it's yeah, I share I share the feelings with them pretty much on that. It's it was so convenient to just walk out of that movie because you know I'm I'm anticipating the Zack Snyder Justice League, and I'm thinking you know DC might have had a a shift in their in their like what kind of movies they want to make or how they want to move forward. And you know I don't know when they made 1984. But it when I was watching the movie, like, you know, tonally they were going for this nostalgic 80s blockbuster, you know, popcorn flick kind of vibe. And when it opens, it opens in um in like a, you know, typical classic 1980s shopping mall. And you see people, you know, dressed in the 80s. And even the way it's shot with the music layered in the b- background, it it's kind of does bring up those those nostalgic, like, you know, like the old school Superman movies, the the Richard Donner movies, um. It, it, it had that feeling but it felt really forced like it felt like here's all these symbols of 1980s life that we're just gonna show at you the first 30 seconds so you know that this movie set in the 1980s and i was thinking like this must have some purpose to it like why is this setting important uh you know kind of in the middle of the cold war era and the the movie very like very limitly touches on the whole cold war cold war thing so i thought maybe that's the direction going but it's not it's just a kind of nostalgia clickbait feature that they tack on that you know here's wonder woman in in the 80s and i the whole time i'm watching like what was their plan behind this movie it seemed to me like they were just writing on the go and each day they were just kind of writing the scenes out on the spot it felt like a very paint by numbers movie like this had been done so many times before of just set up the protagonist here's your antagonist who's just basically mexican donald trump and it's weird it felt really like spoon-fed you know like just here's all the information you need to know no drama no conflict that you care about characters that you you know barely care about and everything just feels weird um and you know you told me that you're not really planning to see it right so i can talk about kind of spoilery things oh yeah go ahead i don't really give a yeah okay because that's kind of where the big problems lies like the plot of the movie is so nonsensical it's it's like a you know it's like a kid's like I don't even want to disrespect it by calling it like a kid's movie, but it's so dumb, like how they just make, like, they want you to believe everything, all the information they're telling you. The whole movie revolves around, like, the equivalent of, like, a magic genie lamp, and that's, like, it's it's a some kind of a historical artifact that grants the user uh, unlimited wishes, or, like, um whatever wish they want, and they have to pay a price for it. And, like, already by that, like, you can tell, like, what kind of a movie is this going to be? Like, that's a, it's a weird plot device when you have a magic wishing thing because there's essentially no rules and this movie follows like no strict guideline of of logical rules you know or like just a logical plot line it's just action action oh here's the cheetah why is she the cheetah how did she become the cheetah why is she so evil like you don't know these things they just want you to follow along because there has to be an antagonist she has to be the cheetah to go up against wonder woman and you know it feels super force-fed and 
and and and and like tonally just off. You know, the next DC movie to come after this is Zack Snyder's Justice League, and I'd be a I'd be a betting man to say it'll be one of the more successful DC movies to come out, um, just because of all the hype surrounding it right now. And this movie is like trying to tell you, yeah, we're we're tonally we're you know we're, we want to be in Zack Snyder's canon of DC movies, and and this Wonder Woman is, uh, you know, the same kind of Wonder Woman we saw in BBS and whatever. But then you just get some weird shit like, like um, this whole fantasy thing, and I don't know. I I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. It was, it was rough to watch through. You know, how it wasn't like, yeah. How different is it to the first Wonder Woman movie in terms of like tone, mm. the way the characters act, the way the characters talk to each other? Like, how different is it? Yeah, it's so like I even told you about the first one. I didn't like it very much because it felt kind of mediocre to me. It other than the fact that it's Wonder Woman and it's quote-unquote the first woman leading superhero movie, even though that's not really true. You know, you had Catwoman in the early 2000s, Electra, shit like that. But this was supposedly a big deal. I just found the first movie just kind of mediocre other than the um, the Dead Man's Land or No Man's Land, um, the scene where she's just walking through the World War battlefield. I thought that was kind of visually cool. But I, I was expecting, you know, it, the, the sequel couldn't really go lower than mediocre it can't it has to improve upon what was set up in in a sense of world building or character um and they've had so much time to like figure this movie out and and i guess the creative freedom for patty jenkins to really just like make a good wonder woman movie. like it seemed like there was no studio restricting on this one but that being said i found this one like harder to watch really than the first one because at least the first one had a drama it had characters you cared about like you know, it was about Diana and her love interest, Steve, Steve Trevor, um, and like how she's kind of being brought into the new world and, and having to adjust to it all and that sort of thing. And, and that kind of conflict, that drama, it was fun to watch in that first movie. Um, this movie was like, let's do that again, but flip the scenario. So they bought they brought Chris Pine back as Steve Trevor. Um, and the whole reveal of that is really, really weird, too. Um I don't know if you had if you heard like there was like some controversy surrounding the whole bringing him back scene uh, or bringing him back in the movie because there's this he's in the movie he's actually not like him he's just possessing another man's body so people are like oh like they had sex in the movie like that that could be like rape against the guy who was being possessed because he wasn't inhabiting his body and he was just following along the ride so it has these really confusing undertones oh, throughout the whole fuck. situation. It's so weird. And it's not like I was actively thinking these things. It's just when I read about it, I thought, like, that's really yeah, but who, weird. But who sits down in the writer's room and goes, like, okay, instead of if we're introducing magic bullshit, we need to get a character yeah. back. Oh, let's have and him come back through saying. magic bullshit. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. He's going to possess another man's body. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's like they, they wrote a plot, a MacGuffin that makes no rules a thing. And then they're like, no, but let's follow something logical. Let's do some kind of logic. Like, it, it just didn't makes sense like you even hearing that just like what the, why would they think that um and and then they try to do the same thing where it's instead of diana uh, in this new world of of like whatever 1980s because she's sort of established she has uh, a good job and and you know she's a house or whatever it's friends um it's like th- it's them bringing steve trevor into the 1980s and it's him like adjusting to this whole thing and i'm like yeah but i saw this in the last movie it was funnier in the last movie it was done better like you're just rehashing the same thing and not making it as interesting. It just felt so 
uh, weird. Like the the coolest thing about it, I guess, was the opening, which was actually really cool because it was one shot in IMAX, um, which I, I love that shit. And it was set on Amazon on Am- what's the island called? Yeah, where they're from, the Amazon island. Um, or no, that's called Themyscira. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, there it goes. The brain worked. And um, they're on Themyscira, and it's this kind of it's a set piece of like. They're, they have an Olympics, I guess, on on their island, and the women are um, competing against each other. And there's a young Diana who is just tearing through the course, like she's about to win. Um, and like the less, and then she eventually cheats and and gets caught cheating. So they pull her out uh, aside, and they're like, "You can't cheat in order to get what you want." And like, then that that's done. That's all the world building in in the sense of Wonder Woman they get. Then you're in 1980s, and it's like nonsense. I'm like, what a waste of, you know, going to Themyscira. Not a waste, I guess, because it was cool to see it, but I wish we explored, or I wish the movie explored more of that. But it ended up being like, that was the theme of the movie too. Like, that was their way of giving the theme, which is like, oh, don't cheat. And I guess, like, she cheated by wishing for her love back when he was dead, and that's cheating life. So, bad shit happened to her, I guess. Like, it, it felt weird, man. It, don't watch it. No, I, <laughs> save, I, I, save I don't really plan to. I think, like, overall, if we're talking about wonder woman as a character because i i'm definitely more of a dc person mm-hmm. um wonder woman does suffer greatly from like singular story stuff because she suffers mm-hmm. from a lack of um interesting villains um cheetah is sort of like the the iconic quote-unquote iconic, iconic. Quote but i guess that was that was aries right like that in the comics it's typically aries in the comics, think, it's Ares, and that's what you know pisses me off. And that was the first f- movie, they, yeah. And then even the first up. movie kind of just exactly they just kind of wash away with him real all quick. All they all they had to do was like not make him a mustached British man, like have him like turn into what a Ares God. looks like in the comics, which is like yeah, a literally pitch black skin giant of a man with red glowing mm-hmm. eyes and you know armor like he had in the movie. But like when you when they did the close up shots of in the first movie of like Ares battling. Um, Diana, he's got like his fucking mustache flapping out. Of yeah, his it's helmet. a guy from fucking Harry Potter's. Like that's the only thing I could think of while watching. It's the goddamn, yeah, it's the werewolf from it's, Harry Potter. It's, yeah, so that's oh man, because I thought Ares is so fucking cool and, and everything yeah. else. Like he's the literal fucking god of war, man. Mm-hmm. Like, and and it was a pretty cool villain, I guess, in the first movie. Like you know, obviously we could have wished for better in the sense of getting the final Ares moment. But I thought the build up to the villain, like the whole, um misguiding in that first movie like they made you think the one guy was Ares because he's a total dick and wants to kill people and the guy that's talking sensibly ends up being Ares and the whole thing's about corrupting humanity like I I could fuck with that storyline like I I, I like the reveal at the end there was and something they even there said, yeah there was something there it, and they even said like the it was kind of a studio rushed third act like that you can tell in that movie like it, it was bloated with CGI like they probably just shot the whole thing in a warehouse green screen few shots whatever like that's fine like you know that kind of stuff happens this movie i don't think you can rely on that excuse like i really think warner brothers had faith in patty jenkins and the whole team behind the first movie the original wonder woman i think when it came out was the highest grossing the best rated dc film after like man of steel bbs justice league which you know makes sense for those movies but it's they they had all I feel like they had all the creative freedom and time to really craft a good Wonder Woman story and we didn't get that we got a like nostalgia baity 
action movie, like very mediocre action movie that featured Wonder Woman and a couple other characters. This and, is why I think like a movie, mm-hmm. you know, despite me loving Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of damaged the whole uh, superhero movie genre as a whole. Because everyone thought they liked Interesting Guardians pick. of the Galaxy because it was like um, a super um, nostalgia, poppy, poppy yeah. pop culture nostalgia thing. When in yeah. reality, it was, you know, that, that part was actually tied into the plot and more importantly, tied into the story and to the, the character of, of Star-Lord. Yes, so absolutely. That's why that I mean, the there. songs were even written directly into the script. Like all the, the songs were purposely chosen and, and written directly into the script because they were, you know, I guess like the songs, the last memory of his mom that passed down to Star-Lord. Um, and yeah, you're, I think you're, you're kind of on the nose of that one, buddy. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy, like, weirdly being, like, one of the most uh, popular Marvel movies and, in a way, game-changing for Marvel, um, it made me look at Mar- the, the whole what Marvel Studios is planning in, in, like, a in a grander way. Like, I could understand their scope. And it seemed like the only thing that DC or other, uh, like, you know, people, like, other um, movies and what filmmakers wanted to take from that was, like, the really, like, surface-level things, like the pop music, the team dynamic... And, like, you get Suicide Squad as a direct result to Guardians of the Galaxy. And when you, like, Suicide Squad is, like, the worst DC movie ever. Like, it's so bad. I, I, I'm, 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 like, shifting between one, like, this new one, 1984 and Suicide Squad. But it was so bad. And apparently, even the Suicide Squad movie has a bit of a, um, uh, like, a Zack Snyder situation where we might get an air cut. Um, a, a director's cut of what? Yeah, with like more Joker stuff, which would be interesting to see. But, you know, from my understanding of like the behind the scenes of that movie, it was like they had an idea. They had a vision to go dark, follow the whole BVS tone, have a dark movie about criminals. And that's what the you know, Comic-Con trailer showed us. And then they're like, oh, but Guardians of the Galaxy was huge. So we should put in Bohemian Rhapsody into the trailer and like cut the whole thing to a bunch of neon colors and they basically got the trailer guys to come in and cut the movie to make it look more like a, a pop music video. So, yeah, anyways, my like, I, I still don't know what DC's problem is, you know? I, I don't know what... Are they, like, are they, like, rushing the gate to try and make, you know, blockbuster movies? Or I, I don't think they're, like, copying Marvel's formula anymore, but it still seems like these independent films, you know, like, I think, like, Justice League, the new one's going to be a bit of an anomaly because that's going to have, like, you know, 70 more million dollars poured into it and just let Zach do his thing there. But like these new movies that we're going to see just, you know, has me more skeptical about it. Like, I don't want to be skeptical about the Batman, the new one, you know. Um, but it, yeah, after this, I'm like a bit on a shaky boat with, with DC as a company. I don't think the Batman is, has, I don't, I don't see it um, sort of falling in line with what the, not current, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. Wonder Woman and like Aquaman in general are like in a weird space to where it was sort of collectively decided that the DCEU was just going to sort of phase out and not continue. But these movies had to come out anyways. So, and like the sequels, the franchises had to continue. Yeah. Yeah. It is weird because it's like, what's the next Justice League going to be? Right. Like, is it going to follow not the gonna make another theatrical? One. Yeah. Then this whole thing went to waste then. Like, are they just going to make independent like wonder woman movies like i don't want to see i that think they're sticking to their guns and just doing like the closed system 
with right. regards the, to the Joker ex- and Batman. Yeah, and then they'll do they'll the continue other that. world kind of stories. And I hope disconnected. We, I hope we get a Superman movie that you know I I used to quite enjoy Man of Steel, but you know, given time and given perspective, mm-hmm. I've come to actually like realize how damaging that movie is. Really? Um, yeah. Um, I have a different take on that. I almost like complete opposite. Over time, I've grown to like actually appreciate it. I, that but was me too. That was me plot. too. That was me too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized like maybe Zack Snyder's directing style and his vision wasn't exactly very suitable for the Superman character. A Superman, sure. Right? Yeah. Um, and there's even like behind the scenes stuff where he's like, he is writing Watchmen or, or doing something with Watchmen. And he gets the call about Superman. He's like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm in the anti-superhero realm right now because that's what Watchmen is. And yeah. like, he's like, I don't really want to build up the largest icon. I'm right now. I'm tearing it all down. And you know, it's literally like completely deconstructing the superhero. Genre. Right. So it was really weird that he took it on, anyways. And like, yeah. I get what they were going for with like a darker, more mature Superman, and that has its place in some ways. But like. In a way, no, it doesn't, because mm-hmm. Superman is the complete opposite, and he should have been mm-hmm. the complete opposite of what the Dark Knight movies were. Um, yeah, how do you feel about the Brandon Rouse Superman? I almost think like those are uh, cutting aside the Richard, the original Richard Donner ones, the Superman one and two. But uh, I like I really grew up loving the Brandon Rouse. I thought he was like hit Superman on the T of like what is that supposed to be? Uh, you know, symbol of hope, a symbol of what good men are. You know, like whatever. Um, yeah, how do you feel about the movies that have come before it? Uh, they're okay. Like, I think it's really hard to do a Superman movie. Um, yeah. Well, it, in a world where, you know, after uh, the post-Dark Knight world, let's call it, it's like everything has to be gritty down to be taken seriously. So, like, that 1980s, 19, like, the old-school Superman movies, like, you couldn't produce that today with the same reaction you got in the 80s. So, it's a weird time we're living in now, you know? I still uh, think that we're, that we could probably get it because... Here's one thing that, like, Zack Snyder kind of got wrong with Superman. Superman is not Jesus. Like, right. He was going heavy on the Jesus analogy. Right. He's one. not yeah. Jesus, but he is hope. Yeah. He's, he's supposed to be this ideal person. Um, yeah. And it's it's hard to write someone like that because Superman is so perfect. You need to find some sort of flaw that's not his physical um, attributes it's and it's you know and he's been written for a long time to be like also just overall a good guy um when in reality it's a pretty simple character in the comic books that's i feel like the in other things like it's always been very he, very he gets expanded black, more you know? as the universe gets expanded more where you can start right it's like when it's, you introduce yeah. guys like dark side who dark side like yeah the whole thing with Superman is like Darkseid makes Superman fucking lose it. Evil, like, yes. Like, go straight up fucking... And then uh, that's sort of the challenge that Superman faces is sort of like getting back to what he is. He can't stoop down to this guy's level, right? Yeah. And I think that's where Superman movies can work, and that can still work with someone like Zod. Um, and I thought Zod was actually done quite well in Man of Steel in terms of yeah. like character motivations like yeah like I was literally bred to do this and you took yeah. away my one and only purpose time for me to fucking destroy it all I'm sorry 
Um, he was, I think, the best written character because it made like perfect sense through and through his goal, who he was, what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why it, I think I held on to Man of Steel being of yeah. quality for so long is because I just enjoyed the Zod scenes. But like when you actually get down to the nitty gritty of where they sort of tripped and fell with Superman, it's like he shouldn't be such a depressing character. Um, yeah, here I kind of have a different take. Like I agree with you for the most part. My only thing is, like, I, I've i rarely seen Superman as a very complex figure. You know, he's always been white and black. He is good. And before the whole, you know, when you think about Darkseid and the anti-life equation, like, then the whole the coin flips. But we never got that in earlier movies or very rarely on animated shows or whatever. So my perception of him was very white and black. He is essentially a god, and god is good, right? The thing that Zack Snyder's movie did, maybe not well like great to where it was like you know uh a super uh, like appreciated under thing but at least like something i i i got from what he was trying to do was humanize superman and show as much as he's a god he's also clark kent a kid that grew up in kansas like he was as much of a man as he is an alien you know so he's the conflict he's dealing with that that negative side to him is not it's not anything other than the human flaws i guess like that's what i want to see when i see that movie it's like he cares about people. He wants to save everybody. And then his father's telling him, you can't do that. You need to protect your secret. So he has the conflict between his biological father, the, um, you know, uh, Jor-El, who's telling him, you're going to be the savior of, the, of these people. You're going to mean something to them. Essentially, you're going to be Jesus. And then his human dad's telling him, you can't be any of that because they'll kill you. They'll experiment on you and they'll take you away. And these are human fears. These are human anxieties. You know, that's why we're getting the human perspective there. And Superman's kind of like dealing with this, like, you know, the, the world, like, I, I want to help people because that's what good people do. Good humans do is help people. And I have these gifts, so I, I'm in the position to do that. But my dad is telling me I shouldn't do these things. Like, that's that's conflicting his soul, I believe. You know, and Yeah, I don't know. I, I would agree, like, that could be done better to where it's like, you know, that's, the, that's who this guy is. And the whole Jesus thing kind of like, made people think like yeah this is an analogy about jesus coming back like i don't really think it's like that either i think that is that's what humans on earth would see superman as is like this is the coming of jesus you know this is somebody who can do what the bible said jesus could do other than the whole water to wine but like you know what i mean like he is he is the idealization of good so let's let's make him our jesus and you know bbs kind of goes even more into that where he is celebrated as a god he is but then also in the human aspect, he is looked at as a political threat, as all powerful, and that's dangerous. So, I I appreciate that the duality that Zack Snyder's movies kind of lean towards of humanizing the characters, and eventually this all leads to Dark Side anyway. So, mm-hmm. I you know, think we'll get the end. Yeah, what I I I want to get the prestige, but like I need to rant about this a little more. <laughs> Let's do it. He was close, and that's what I think hurts the most with me, is he was fucking so close. Um, A little adjustment to, like, maybe emphasize more of who Clark Kent was in Man of Steel. Like, to me, like, you're you're supposed to have the two personas, like Batman and Bruce Wayne, right? There's really not too much difference between Clark Kent and Superman within Man of Steel. Right, Um, right. I'd I'd like to They're the same guy. I believe they're the, you know, they're... Clark Kent is Superman, mm-hmm. but Batman, like Bruce Wayne, uh, he, like, you know, he's not Bruce Wayne. He is Batman. His disguise is Bruce Wayne. It's not like that for Clark Kent. No. Like Clark Kent is Superman. So it's almost like a flip on the whole Batman thing. 
you know. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, and it was there. Like the setup was there for if they just took their time and they did like an individual Batman movie first, right? Yeah. Um, sort of set up the ideals of both and like the the, the whole setup for like a Dark Knight Returns-esque um, Batman versus Superman fight that Zack Snyder ended up going with was there. But the whole premise within the Dark Knight Returns part one and part two is that Superman sort of was this um, authoritarian authoritarian figure, right? Yes. Where he starts working for the government, the president. Right, because he feels guilty because of what things happened in the past. Like, our power's unchecked. Um, I'm doing mm-hmm. this for the greater good, right? That was there. You could have had that in Batman versus Superman. It was there because he, you know, he did destroy that city. Like his power, like yada yada yada, and like he could have sort of amended for his sins by sort of like, okay, this is like the only way for me to really correct this is to like just, you know, give up my individuality in in this way. And then Batman and the Dark Knight Returns is all about individuality, and that's where the conflict comes from. Is Batman and Bruce Wayne's individuality versus the authoritarianism that Superman imposes, not really by his own will, but that's because like he thinks he has no other choice other than to amend for his sins. And that was all there, and I thought, I so thought they're going to do something like that, and it just didn't end up that way, and it's just a shame, really, because like yeah. this universe that I love is just fucking wasted and now it's and now it's a goddamn laughing stock yeah i think the problem is it got rushed you know like they tried to they tried to get to justice league way too fast they should have like the more i think about it i think like zack snyder would be like a perfect batman director like not in the sense of christopher nolan getting into the nitty-gritty but visually speaking action-wise speaking like bvs is a batman movie for me it's less of a man of steel sequel as much as it is still that but the batman stuff is what i watch that still that w- w- why i still rewatch that uh, just for those those moments um so i really do wish you know we got like a full two hour ben affleck as batman being directed by snyder and fleshing out that character to eventually see a superman versus batman because you're right at the end of man of steel he fucked a lot of shit up he probably killed like thousands if not close to millions of people metropolis was fucked so and they kind of do get into the the, uh, the uh, consequences of that in bbs but that would be interesting you're right like what if he felt so guilty he becomes government superman you know and and we get that in a third we get the real dark knight Returns story in a in a trilogy you know instead of a a sequel Um, i think that's what the what the big flaw to the whole dc universe or like why they're in such a mess right now is uh primarily because they just rushed the whole damn thing you know yeah they just realized my volume was really low there they just they just didn't care enough and that's a shame not about the story yeah it was a money grab for them it's not like you know like I, it, as much as like everybody will say they need a kevin feige they need a Kevin Feige. they don't need one person with a guiding vision they just need like they need the passion for the story i think zach sander actually brought that you know like as as much as his movies are flawed i really think he had a vision behind them he had a story he wanted to tell he keeps saying this is a five arc story five part story you know starting with man of steel and we would have got four movies to flesh out Superman's whole arc. So I don't want to prematurely judge and say the whole thing crapped out after two movies because we never really saw the realized vision of what he's going for. And we still won't. You know, Justice League will come out, but apparently that was always meant to be a two-part movie. Like the resolution for 
Justice League that we're going to see, the Zack Snyder's Justice League, will not be conclusive. It won't be like a finality. It, it will be a cliffhanger. So that makes it all the more kind of confusing. Like, where is this leading to? You know, what is their finality here? And I think they don't even know that themselves. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's a DC take. Yeah, the fucking DC rant episode. There you go. Anyways. Yeah. On to... Moving on to the prestige. Yes. Um, fuck me, dude. Might I say that my uh, expectations were subverted? There you go. Done right. Done <laughs> right. In, in in what I mean by that, I think you wanted to do an entire episode on this, but like the reason why subversion of expectations is such like a fine line to walk on is mm-hmm. the correct way is it's supposed to recontextualize the entire movie um, f- uh, in a way that when you rewatch it or you retell the story in your head, things are different to where now I have completely different perceptions of the main characters of this entire movie. Right. Right. Who in your mind? Okay. Real quick before we get into it, obviously spoilers. Um, so if you haven't watched procedure, which is at this point, almost a 15 year old movie, go watch it because we are going to get into the ending. And this is a movie where you don't want the movie ending or like the whole movie to be ruined for you. I would really strongly advise watch this movie before hearing our full spoilerful discussion because i really want to get into that but so i'll ask you did your perception of who the protagonist is and the antagonist did it change by the end of the movie absolutely 100 percent. and it took me a while for for that to sink in because like, i didn't want to accept it at first it would, it's a hard thing to accept yeah <laughs> which is like the sign of a good um subversion of expectations because i didn't want to accept it but the evidence presented to me left me with no other choice but to accept it there was no counter evidence that that um that um reinforced my initial thoughts of the movie and the characters it just changed everything completely recontextualized it absolutely completely and it's like that's where i really fell in love with this movie was 10 minutes after i watched it what do you think about it when you replay the events in here you got to like weigh out the morality so just a quick context to like who these characters what we're talking about the movie is set in like victorian era england and surrounding the ambitions and the pursuit of two uh amateur magicians trying to one-up each other and become great in their own rights um and the movie is really about you know the passion to be successful the drive the obsession to do something with your life be had like do something that you love you know um i i really on a on a story level like i really like love this movie on, on so many ways but just related to it in my own you know like pursuits of filmmaking and like wanting to be a filmmaker i could just see my own kind of worldviews in in this story take place and i think that can work for like anybody you know like if you if you have dreams or you have ambitions of something you know and you watch this movie it's it's easy to it's easy to see those kind of play out in the characters. You know, you could substitute magic and magician with any profession and, and the story is universal in the same right. Um, I think that's one of the beautiful things about it. It's really uh, at heart like a human story. It's not like a thriller for shock value or, you know, in, in Christopher Nolan style of like mind blowing you with like science fiction kind of ideas and just, you know, it's like the complete opposite of Tenet really um it's 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 just a well-polished like well-crafted movie about the pursuit of these two magicians and starring um hugh jackman and christian bale uh 
who were you who were you kind of rooting for in the beginning of this movie because they they want you to root for somebody and you know this is my like fifth or sixth time rewatching it so I'm, I'm just at this point paying more close pay more attention to small details of what the character is doing and saying but when you like when you just started watching and getting into it like how drawn into you were how drawn into you, Angier the character of Angier were you like were you like this is my guy this is my protagonist you know I know it's crazy and like <clears throat> it's like oh I forget the lines that he says but initially it's like yeah here's the reveal here's what you should expect and it's like me as like just a someone who's going into this movie for the first time it's like uh wow it's like okay yeah this is just going to be a pretty straightforward movie i thought um with regards to no one i didn't expect much i was like okay this is some of his earlier work um we're not going to get like mind-blowing crazy um concepts to wrap our heads around this is him sort of just figuring out his sort of style of story structure um as he starts off his career so um my expectations were set up quite nicely with uh andrew being like the the main protagonist um which he is for a little bit that is but um as time goes on and i don't you know um and complications occur it's like more and more i started to dislike him which is you know odd because i was like am i gonna like is this gonna be christopher nolan's tragedy like you know what i mean is this gonna be some sort of tragic story revolving around two characters destroying themselves based off their obsessions a la romeo juliet style but like um you know what i mean it seemed like it was playing out like a kind of like a classic tragedy kind of is that not yeah it's not a i guess it's not a classic tragedy in the sense that it you know like in a romeo and juliet kind of way but i almost still see it as a tragedy right but like because and again it's it's, it still is a tragedy you're right based off of the outcomes of the movie but like you know what i mean in terms of like a classic tragedy where two opposing figures like both just destroy each other that is kind of what happens if you think about it in a way angier's angier's obsession destroys here here's where i'm conflicted because i feel like who won right angier at the end of it gets what he wants like he died but he became a legend he became renowned magician and he like his trick will live on in people's minds that's what he wanted he spilled it out like you don't at the end he says to to um, Borden, um, you know, you don't get it. You don't know why we were doing this. This whole reason wasn't like the the, the movie sets it up that this is a Angier's revenge plot against uh, Borden for accidentally killing his wife. And the whole time, you know, even Borden isn't sure if he did if he did um, the more difficult knot on purpose or if he did like he he's even unsure of what he was doing. So I, when you when you really think about it the movie portrays Borden as the antagonist because you're following Angier's point of view throughout it and you know the whole structure in the movie it's, it's so complicated like other Nolan movies um, but it it's seamless in the way it kind of flows to you and, and how you know it's non-linear at the same time it, the whole plot is kind of given to you through these journals that they're reading right uh, at the beginning of the movie Borden's already in jail and he's reading Angier's journal uh, and, and likewise Angier is reading Borden's journal both of them are playing like these games with each other they're both setting each other up to fail and to like 
basically lose in their own playoffs. Um, who could you say won? Like, or who could you say actually lost? Because I guess Borden, like, you know, one half of him, you know, uh, like dies at the end. But at the same time, the whole conflict between his character was that he was living. Uh, it was two people living one life. There was a duality of the man going on, and because of that, he couldn't have a proper family. He couldn't have proper love. Um, he was constantly conflicted. So in a way, at the end, he gets some sort of peace from the fact that you know he has his daughter now, and is no longer a threat to him. You know, you know, um, and at the end of the day, he's living and he's happy. So. It's it's hard to say like who was really who who lost in this situation. I don't know. I I think Angier lost because um, Borden's character has a realization of what he sacrificed, and there is regret in him. Um, in comparison to Angier, Angier, what the character decides is that this was all like worth it. Like I got what I wanted, but as the audience member, we know it really wasn't. Um, in terms of Borden, it's like, I think he, he did sort of win in the end because he's always been playing a magic trick and like, exactly. He was the real magician, right? Like his, this movie is his magic trick. Right. But even earlier on in the movie, like when they see the Chinaman, right. And Borden says, this is the real trick. The commitment to the act, to the, to the persona is the trick, the commitment to it all. Um, in my head, you know, like I, my guy in this movie is Broden, uh, Borden. Um, like he's my protagonist. I guess as much in the beginning, Angier's story, they're, both stories are interesting, and you know, you want to follow both these guys. But the guy I'm rooting for, obviously knowing the ending, but like constantly through the movie is Borden because for him, it's true passion guiding what he does. It's it's not revenge. It's not obsession. It's not success. Like it is success, but it's. It's the love of the craft, and it's, like, the dedication to it. With Angier, like, he he wants to be a magician, but he started off, like, wanting revenge. He wanted to steal Borden's trick, and that he thought that's what would make him great because Borden had such a, such a great trick he couldn't figure it out. He wanted to take that exact same one. And even Borden says at the end, like, you didn't sacrifice. You did terrible shit. You might think you sacrificed, but it's not hard to steal somebody else's trick, you know? Um, that's when it kind of clicked for me. Like, both of these guys... They have different philosophies about success and about uh, getting there, getting to that place. The, the whole movie is kind of trying to drive in you. You gotta sacrifice. You gotta, you gotta get your hands dirty, like literally, right? Um, and both of those guys kind of do that, but in their own way. And it becomes really clear at the end who went about it the right way. Or, like that's left for you to decide. That's left for you to morally interpret. Um, it's not as like you know a clear answer to, to most people or to, to everybody. It won't be the same answer, but it makes you think that at the end like who was who was right in this situation who who do i morally align myself with i guess i think at the end um i forgave borden i didn't forgive angier um it's so like i think it's it's tough to say because despite borden's philosophy being the more correct one it's still not a life I'd want to live. You know what I mean? But if you're living this life of obsession, of at any cost, get where I want to be, in like get the success that I know can exist, 
then, you know, I think Borden's is the correct way. It's just 100% commitment, whereas Angier's is sort of fraudulent in a way, and he right. sacrifices too much. He didn't need to be Borden, right? Borden was already had already decided that this was the life he wanted to live, whereas Angier's sort of came along after something happened to him, whereas exactly. he could yeah. have moved on, right? Yeah, he could have done his own thing, came up with his own great trick, you know, been in competition, but in healthy competition. But he was he was out to steal his trick and want revenge, which are can't are not you can't morally align yourself with those things. No, not at all. And it, it, it sort of plays out that way because Angier had everything. He had um, a new act that was completely successful, um, and he had Olivia. And Olivia was committed to him. And as long as he just stayed committed to his act and didn't take the risk and just wrote it out, his life would have been completely repaired in a way. Um, but his obsession with Borden and the potential of this man, who unrightfully so, you know, bears, not, not, not unrightfully, yeah, he bears the blame for what happened to Andrew's wife. But. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fair it's a double sided story because he is to blame. Like you know, when they make it clear in the film, like by showing close up shots of him tying the knot on the girl, he's second guessing himself even in that moment. Like it's clear that he is the fault of her death, but it is accidental, of course. Um, but that sets Borden off to what I believe to be the antagonist of the story. Like I think they're both kind of protagonists, but I think. Uh, uh, Angier switches. You know, he 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 turns into a full-fledged antagonist. It's not like an anti-hero anymore. He's he's just asshole by the end of the movie. But yeah, like his his whole pursuit was like lost. Like in the scene when he's with Olivia, he even says like, "I don't care about my wife anymore. I care about this trick." And he like thinks about it, like, "Whoa, like did I just say that?" You know. And that's when it became that's when i think it becomes clear in the film like he's lost his way like he doesn't know why he's doing this anymore or at least he's convinced himself that what he's doing is good but it's no longer uh, it's no longer respectable it's not like he's pursuing magic to be great for the sake of being great in magic he wants revenge he wants to he wants to essentially kill borden for killing his wife and even by the end of the movie borden's like no nah, we took this too far we we can't go after him anymore let's drop it he won um, and he respected that. By the end of it, I think, you know, when when Angier comes back with the new transporting man, Borden's like, let's call it off now. We don't need to play back and forth. But it, it's still Angier's prerogative to, like, bury Bert, uh, Borden for presumably killing his wife. He never forgave him for that. He never, like, considered the accidental play, you know? Um, yeah, it was... It becomes easier by the end of the movie just to see him as a full-on antagonist, I think. Right, but I, th I, I think the realization that, like, Borden wasn't fully, like, he was because he was living a double life, because twin or clone, and I'll get to that. Um, he didn't, like, like they would switch for the day, and yeah. maybe the one, and, and maybe both of them had discussed the knot, but maybe one was told no, and the other one was told um wasn't told no or he had no realization of it and he went for it anyways it's like it, it's, i don't it's think a, it was that it's I don't really think the, i don't think the twin i don't think the brother switch thing happens till later 
until he starts doing the trick, you know? I don't think they were doing that act at that point. I think they were. But there's nothing to point you in that direction. Yes, there was. What's that? Borden talks about a trick that he has, that he's thinking of. Yeah. He's like... um, Yeah, he's talking about the the, uh, transporting men. Yeah. But I think they were doing that the entire time because that's what he... That's why he admired the Chinese act so much was because he knew. Yeah. He was doing the same thing, essentially. Yes, he was doing the same thing. That could be the case. I See, the... As much as I love the setting of this movie in, like, Victorian-era English, the the frame of time of, like, wh- how long does the movie take place in, is it's it can get confusing. Um, I think there's, like, literally, like, a decade going on in between the events of this movie. Like, easily. The, you know, you see uh, Angier's da- like daughter from being born to, like, she's, like, 9 or 10 by the end of the movie. So I think a lot have, of time goes by that is just not made clear, really. So the beginning of the film is really early stages, amateur magician, like ambitions of wanting to be a magician, but they're just stagehands at that point. So maybe like, I think like that's a, that's an interesting outlook on it. It could be, could be the case, but I think maybe that Chinaman thing made him realize what he needs to do and commit to, to be a great magician. I, I, you know, that's interesting. Maybe like, I don't know. What would the implications be though, if it was his brother and, you know, I, I don't know. Well then Borden it is less at fault for what happened because um, it could have been Borden who was told, no, we're not doing the new knot um, and not relaying that information to his clone or twin. And then the clone or twin sort of stepping in as he normally would and doing it anyway, because they had talked about it. So could be. I don't know. It wasn't as clear to me that that was the case. But who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, it's it, it's so tough. I I've seen so many people. Like, is he a clone or a twin? I think it's his twin. I think it's it's just his brother. Ah, that's I where, going for that's where I don't know though. Because how would he? Yeah, I don't think the, they were going for too much spectacle though. How would he know about Tesla? Because he was at the when Tesla was presenting, or like when Tesla wasn't there, but Andy Serkis's character, his his assistant, right? Tesla's assistant is in England doing a presentation about what Tesla is up to. And both Borden and Angiers are attending that um, that kind of showcase. And I was thinking the same thing as you. Like, how does... What was the Tesla link there? Like, he was... Borden's goal was just to throw off Angier and make him go on a goose chase for a couple of years. It ended up working in Angier's favor, though. But, yeah, like, what's the link? I think it was... I think it's as simple as he was just... Uh, he was trying to throw him off because he knew both of them were at that same Tesla showcase event type thing oh i oh man it's not made very clear but it's it's vague it's vague enough for you to make your to own me like of... the, the entire thing was like he knew about tesla the entire time and that's he had a clone made years ago and well they do set up right they do set up in the beginning that somebody went to him with the idea of that machine something like that yeah it was in um, it was in borden's journal was it not That's that's the whole link is like he um, Angier goes to Tesla and he shows Borden's journal like this is the machine you, no, you I know, built this for another person. Who was that person? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the events. I I think okay. I think this is what it is. Um, I think Borden's like their brothers, the Borden brothers. I don't think it's a clone situation because 
if it was the clone situation, Gordon would have been much famous, much faster. Like this whole situation, the whole movie wouldn't have happened. I think. Um, I think the 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 idea that this machine had been done before was a bit of a th- a bit to throw off Angiers, um, just to make him believe like this could be done when in reality nobody knew it could be done at the time. Like even Tesla was like still figuring out the machine while he was working on it. Like that's what they were showing. Like he didn't know what the outcome was. He didn't properly calculate the um the results of what that cloning thing would be and it's it, it's almost like they're discovering that process while we're watching it you know that's true um so, yeah because there's think, the other thing borden, that confused me was that borden was confused at the how angier did it exactly well and, and when he realizes he realizes what angier has done and he's horrified by it you know that that, that there's like an, a very visible distinction like the man who you thought was the antagonist this whole time is like looking in horror at the guy that you thought was a protagonist. It's a bit of a mindfuck. It is. But um, yeah. It's, it is confusing though. And that's maybe like, I think a fault to this movie is timelines get jumbled up. Um, how information gets relayed across characters gets jumbled up. Like, um, Yeah, I, I find this a kind of a criticism. I'm finding this a criticism. I mean, with uh, Christopher Nolan's movies in particular, um, as much as, you know, I love his films and I love the guy who makes the films. Um, I think one of the biggest flaws is just how information is kind of given. And, you know, we like just referencing our tenant review, this movie kind of has those same problems where dialogue is said so, not so fast, but it's, it's given naturally to you where in a first viewing, you're not going to grab hold of every single line of information and track it back to what it means and what does it refer to. So, I think one, this movie will really benefit you on multiple viewings, as it did for me. Um, it's for me, it's just gotten better over time, uh, and it started off at a really high note too. But it, yeah, like that's definitely a problem I find too. Is it's easy to it, it's easy to lose grasp of the information you're receiving. Um, this movie's not as bad as Tenant in that way, where Tenant's like, what what does this mean? What is that? Um, the story of this is relatively easy to follow, even when you're not thinking about timelines or as in-depth as, as too many in-depth things but when 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 you're just in the flow of watching it like how did you feel like were you at any point confused by the story or the characters or anything like that yeah absolutely um i there's many points where i didn't know when we were um and there's yeah. many like and just like expressing it now it's like um the whole twin and clone thing seems a little weird to me it's like because that got confused up with me on my first viewing i don't know if that's the fault of me for not paying attention but like it it seemed logical to me and i'm making my own connections that seemed logical to me like but perhaps it's just the twin brother which if it is the case it's a little disappointing to me um because i thought the whole um the whole clone comparison to where their philosophies differed on the use of clones whereas mm-hmm. Borden in my head um, had known about Tesla um, had a clone happen um, but you know that scene with the kid um, yeah, uh, where the guy does the magic trick with the bird and the kid's like well, what about his brother um to me 
that was like okay his philosophy is like it's not really um you know sustainable that way um so he learned how to do the trick in a more sustainable way and angier didn't have to decide to do that but he couldn't just based off of his life philosophy and just based off of his ideals he couldn't possibly imagine himself living a double life in that commitment whereas borden knew and borden understood so i don't know it's no i think you're confusing yourself a little bit you got confused with that with the with the clone thing because that that the the scene that you're talking about with the, the little boy and he notices the bird like that for me like that that was always meant to be foreshadowing for the big reveal for the prestige reveal at the end of the movie that it, it's his brother that it was always a double and you know cutter says it first thing he says it's a double right the most experienced guy in the room gave you the secret before you could even think about it and you didn't like none of us on a first viewing believe him because we're following Angier throughout the movie he's our protagonist we're following the belief that it, it's not that simple it's not that simple it has to be more complicated and that deludes Angier and you know it makes me think Borden's philosophy was just so simple so pure of wanting to be a magician and he just took the most simplest thing of I have a twin brother and we can do this tra- this transportation thing because it's not really a trick it's just I have a twin brother you know it's not even magic it's not, a, it's not an illusion or it, it's barely an illusion so it, it it like yeah I don't know um for me it it like it was never in my realm of thinking that is it a brother or a clone because you know I think they set it up like to get that machine made was probably really expensive and Angier's rich so only he could have really done that you know Borden was never shown to be a wealthy guy how could he be a gone to America and pursue or uh, persuade Tesla to making that machine I, there's just not enough information for me to buy that plot yeah that it just doesn't it just it seems awfully convenient that it is but that's it like see that's kind of their conflict in the movie is borden's philosophy about the whole thing like they both have similar pursuits at the beginning of the movie their ambitions are aligned borden's way of going about it was always simple and pure angier's was not he was riddled with um like just bad decisions you know um and and a bad worldview possibly like he he was just he was sought after revenge and success like kind of paralleling each other when uh borden was just he was just always just trying to do this trick he just wanted to do this trick and by happenstance he falls in love with two different women's that creates conflict in his life and you know the movie carries on from there but i think it was always meant to be like this simple ideology versus this overly complicated convoluted ideology that just goes bad by the end of the you know yeah yeah ah man it's a little disappointing to me then um, I, th- I feel like when you rewatch it like i don't know i i for me like that always made crystal clear kind of sense like if there's if the whole thing was clone based like then this movie just turns into a science fiction well it is already Tesla's kind of science clones. fiction which i did not expect by the way it never if that's the thing right like you never the science fiction bit comes in right at the end and it just it blows your mind like wow like i was not expecting tesla to be in this movie like doing shit that you just didn't know could be that like it's tonally not leading you in that direction so when it happens it feels natural but it it surprises you all the more like i feel like if 
they overused that, the movie would have suffered more for me. You know, like I, I, I like also how um, the other board in which is, um, you know, I forget what uh, what they called him in the movie right now, um, Fletcher. Yeah, um, yeah. Like you never hear him talk in the movie. Uh, when you rewatch it, you'll see like there's key decisions um, when they're framed together. When Borden and Fletcher are framed together, you're like there's clear shots of Borden as Christian Bale talking and speaking to Fletcher, and you never hear Fletcher talk. The moments you you suppose he's talking, it never actually shows his face. It's always showing the action of what they're doing. And I was like, I was keying in on it at this time. It was like. It, it's subtly giving you the information that these are the these are the same guys. Like as the movie progresses, it leans on that more. Like um, um, Borden's wife even says, "I know your secret. I know what you're doing." Um, there's plenty of foreshadowing just riddled through it that this is a double. It's a it's a simple trick. It's not as complicated as you think. And at the end of it, it's like it, it's for me. It's like all the more tragic. Like the quiet, reserved guy, you know, now has to like carry on from 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 that from the whole ordeal and he, at the end he gets his revenge so i'm happy for him but um yeah yeah i guess uh, looking it up it is a twin it's more like but it, that to yeah me, like, that kind of shows if it's a clone like sorry if it's like a clone like you almost feel like you, that weight of the ending is on there you know <sighs> no i still think it stands but like i i, I it, it is a twin which i just looked up um but like that that seems like a big hole in the movie that um borden's supposed key to it all actually ends up leading to it it just seems so unbelievable yeah, to a, me yeah 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 that's a bit of a and that's where the movie like, really threw me off weird convenience yeah it's a weird convenience that happens yeah that's the power of writing as they say i guess yeah <laughs> that brings that brings characters to places right like yeah i guess that's the one thing you gotta like swallow the pillow on a little bit and just buy into it like how did it's a pure luck of chance i guess that um borden actually helped angier succeed in what he wanted to do and not only that i don't know what to make of that i don't know what to make of it other than it's like a a happenstance i guess it was like they both attended the tesla thing and he knew and um it's like i guess that would throw him off but like the fact that tesla was then able to make a cloning machine to where he could recreate the trick bigger and better it's just Here, here's another thing that i perceive on so at the end right when when um angier is showing the trick to uh to the theater guy like the guy he wants to promote the show and stuff he says a really interesting line at the end of the movie, which i i still scratch my head i'm like what does this mean you know and it's oh pardon me I, this is rare to see real magic it's been it's been years since i've seen real magic like what does that mean you know like yeah, this is Victorian era England, where electricity is just coming on. They think that's, you know, like, put yourself in that position for a second. It's Victorian era England, right? All you have to light things are candles, and you go into this Tesla workshop or, or showcase or whatever, and you see beams of blue light shooting across the room, and it looks dangerous, it looks explosive, but it's completely natural. Like it's fine. Like, it's easy for somebody in the night, like in that era, to be like, that's fucking magic, dude. You know, like you don't. In, in the Thor movies, there's a really cool line that Thor says, which is what you guys, what, he's talking to Natalie Portman, he goes, what you guys call science, or no, what you guys call magic, we call science. It's one and the same. Um, just different ways of looking at things. So, it's, it, I found one thing, like, it's it's cool that they brought the whole Tesla, like, 
mythos to this movie and you know we know such little about him we just know he was this great inventor and had so much influence on you know the world we live in today but expanding on that whole thing of like what is science capable of and like how it blows people's minds like that like it, it, it just made me think so much like what what else have we not seen you know in this movie like what have the characters seen that we haven't seen i don't know it, it that one line just blew the world it sort of dev- dissolve like uh, devolves um christopher nolan's like future film philosophies in terms of like using science as a means of like producing this movie magic you know what i mean like he he views science as some sort of magic like uh interstellar everything that happened with interstellar is theoretically based in something everything that happened in tenet is theoretically based on what the physics we know so it's like whoa he has a fascination with science and combining that with film and very like human issues and stories you know like he's just mixing these all in together and it's like it's so it's so cool and it's fresh to see science fiction taken on in this way because throughout the movie you're not seeing this as a science fiction movie it's it's really like not a science fiction movie just the last act is it's pure science fiction but yeah it's like that disguise of it that the it's it is the movie in itself is a matter to uh yeah like i don't know uh what what else what else you got i liked tesla's involvement i did not expect david bowie to show up in this movie Um, david bowie as tesla huge i love that casting choice yeah it was great and um everything sort of mirrors each other within this movie so the edison and tesla rivalry sort of mirrors the the uh the the borden and 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 angier rivalry um Yep. And it's just like these two self-destructive mirrors of themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's why like Tesla is giving Angier the talk about obsession because I guess like he would know, right? Like in his battle with Edison, um, must have gone through similar situations that Angier's went through, something like that. So he's like, yeah, there's a bit of that history getting passed off in the dialogue too. Yeah, and it just um, and by the end of the movie, it's like sort of in a literal sense. Um, where Angier is literally like destroying himself based off of this passion um, and Edison knew it would come to this because you know when two men pose each other in the same space and wanting to be the best and doing that by any means necessary that's what happens they destroy each other whether that's for the good or not and with Edison and Tesla it seemed you know maybe for the good because perhaps tesla's own science what he created would have been used for bad would have been used um you know not in the favor of humanity um as pointed out through much of the movie um, but it's pretty clear that borden and angier's rivalry is self-destructive in a way and then like is that the price you want to pay for success? Is that the price you want to pay for being the best? And the answer usually, or should be, no in this case, because um, despite Borden sort of eking his way out of this movie in a better situation, you know. It's like barely better. It's like, it's just better because he has a wife and his daughter, but at the end of it, he loses his wife, he loses his uh, brother, he loses like almost everybody barely just walks away so it's tragic you know like i wouldn't want to be any of the guys in this situation 
as much as I love the characters and I can align myself with both characters in, in a lot of the movie, you know, by the end of it, it, it scratches your head. Like, you don't want to be these guys. Like, as much as, as much as I could, like, relate myself to the story and the characters and, you know, I could, I could, I you know, learn, you know, I can learn things from what these guys are saying, but at the end of the movie, you're like, yeah, Borden wins, but, like, by what? Like, and, and what did he win? What does he have? He's not going to be a magician, you know, he's not, he just hasn't, like, and maybe that's what's important. Maybe that's good enough. I don't know. But it's, it's, the movie is puzzling. It, it's not so black and white or as clear as, um, it starts off leading you on this journey of antagonizing characters. They're both protagonists and they're both antagonists. So it's, it's hard to fully align myself with one of those things. Yeah. And it, it's, this movie is sort of just a warning on obsession and, and letting things go yeah. and forgiveness. Um, yeah. And let yeah. bygones be bygones because if you hold on to that, then you might just lose everything except what you were pursuing. Because in Angier's case, he got what he wanted, I guess, in the end, based off what his character became, not what it was. Um, right. And Borden got what he wanted too, in a way. I guess that... Ver- uh, yeah, there's an interesting um, like duality between the two versions of Borden. Because they say, you know, one guy is like borderline like Angier's, that kind of obsessive super passionate about this craft that he's doing and just wants to succeed so i think one of the bordens is actually more like angier than the other the other borden is more kind of a free spirit just wants to like live life but he is in this situation now where he has to like support his brother and play this double life game but i think it's kind of hinted in the movie like he's always wanted this sort of freedom that he's never gotten so maybe for him you know fletcher the the borden brother that ends up surviving at the end for him it's actually a huge win because he really now will have a solemn and peaceful life with just his daughter. Like that was, I guess, because they say like one brother loved Sarah, the other loved Olivia. I'm going to assume that the brother that loved Sarah and had the kid with her is the one that survived and is now living. With her, that's yeah, that's so it's, it. Right. So I think it's for him, for that brother in particular, it is a happy ending, even though he lost his brother. Um, that's almost like the price you got to pay for success in a way or, or what this obsession and revenge kind of story takes you it's you got to pay a price at the end um but the whole story between the brothers um i found super interesting um the level of sacrifice that they do for each other um essentially two bodies playing one human one person one life uh it's super challenging to understand it is and it's um i don't know i overall though for my first viewing like this movie blew my mind um twist the turns the character development um the subversion of expectations but you know done in a way that isn't damaging um it was all great and uh i can see why this is this is one of the known films you like you initially or immediately recommended um and you know what? Yeah, you're right. I do think I'm going to benefit from multiple viewings. And I actually can't wait to go uh, back I and watch sure it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's always, every time I've gone back to, to watch this movie, I've always caught something new. There's so much, uh, like, 
inner dialogue. And you know, maybe as what we point out as point out as a criticism of Nolan, maybe this is design choices by him to make you want to come back and watch it. Because as much of like the criticism that we're talking about in this, it doesn't deter me enough from the movie to not like it or not want to watch it. If anything, it makes me question more. Like you know, as we're questioning and talking about it right now, it, it's it's an opportunity to go and find those answers out or, or, or seek new answers. You know, and there's so much layering in this movie that I yeah I don't know if this is like maybe truly a criticism of Nolan because it does bring you back to watch his movies again and again. You know, um, but this for me is like like I think this is at the top of uh, my favorite Christopher Nolan movies. Off, off like a first viewing I was so mind blowing off like of the story and the execution of it that I don't think he's made a better like overall film a Dark Knight movies aside you know those are in its own category but as as talking from A to Z of a picture like the experience of watching a movie um, the whole story like characters setting all of that like I think this is his masterpiece in a way like very early on in his film career too but you know it has all those trademarks that you see in other Chris Nolan films the the, tingle, the, the uh, mixing of science fiction and, and this like, very humanistic story with but, but at the same time it's like it's a straight up thriller it's not like it's not like Inception or, or Dunkirk even where it's uh, purely historical either like this is really a fine like fits really in the middle of his filmography I find that it's perfectly balanced absolutely and yeah um, I got nothing really else to say um, despite some minor grievances I can see how they're rectified um, and this is Nolan's sort of earlier work and and it, it uh, yeah it, it, it's still a great film overall because you know I'm the character guy and the characters were awesome in this movie and sympathetic in both ways um but tragic in the end for sure so yeah that's my initial thoughts and sort of review on the prestige yeah that's uh i guess so we're like after this we've been talking about it for a while hopefully like this will lead us into more conversations around christopher nolan's filmography his uh, going back we'll go back to his earlier works discuss you know how like this movie it kind of like you mentioned projects what his uh, his style is about and what he's trying to convey and what even his just interests and worldview are like this movie kind of uh, makes you see that and, and and when you watch his later movies you see that this is a precursor to his other films too so I, I'm, I'm really interested in going deeper into his old films there's you know I think one movie of his that I've yet to see um, his first movie The Following it's the only one I think I haven't seen yet. So I think, yeah, in future episodes, we'll continue this as a series perhaps on just Christopher Nolan's filmography. And um, to our listeners, if you know you want us to talk about any other filmmakers and their fil- filmographies, you know, hit us up, let us know. Where, where should we start? Um, trying to build some collections of, of great filmmakers and their works and understand their, their auteurism and their style and design choices and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think this is it's fun kind of, going through a filmmaker's filmography and just seeing almost how their career was built from the ground up, you know? For sure. Um, yeah, Nolan's going to be interesting to, to see that through, too. Um, but yeah, that might be it for this episode. 
anything else you got to add, Janie? Uh, maybe just the socials. Uh, yeah. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to give us a rating on whatever you're listening to on your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Helps a lot, trust me. Um, and then make sure to follow us on Instagram and YouTube at Mythic Morons. We're, we're going to start ramping up the post again. Had a little bit of a Christmas Christmas break there. Um, well learned. Yep, we're back. We're back. 2021. 2021. Fresh. fresh, ready for movies and discussing such. And yeah, we'll ramp it up. So again, thanks for watching. Hell yeah. See you next time. Peace.